Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Good out. Let's pray. Lord, without you, our labor is wasted. But with you, all who are weak can find strength and encouragement. Pour your Spirit on the people of this church. Give your laborers a pure intention, patient faith, sufficient success on earth, and the joy of serving you in heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You will need, please, to have the last reading that we heard open in front of you. I think it's page 886, uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Although, just to be perverse, my text today is taken from Acts 11, 24. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. So, you can talk of that as an individual, but I pray that through this church, St. Barnabas, a great many people are brought to the Lord, as they clearly have been over a hundred years, and I pray that they will continue to be brought to the Lord for the next hundred years. Amen. Let me tell you a tale. Um, it was early on Saturday morning, and I was out at the international airport uh, welcoming the latest of our clergy and uh, five members of his family coming from Zimbabwe. And uh, it was, as it always is, at two in the morning, everyone's a bit weary and bleary-eyed. And the arrivals door opens, and one person comes through, and then three people come through, and then... And the person you're waiting through never comes through first. Isn't that always the case? And finally, Gift and his family, and he has three kids, two under five, came through. And um, the church warden of the church they're going to up in Joondalup, uh, Helen, suddenly walked forward, and out of her bag, she took three little cuddly toys uh, little koalas and kangaroos, and she handed it to these three children who looked as if they just landed on another planet. And she didn't say anything. She just handed it to them. And they grasped these cuddly toys and with a weary smile uh, toddled off towards the car. It's a small act of encouragement Sometimes, brothers and sisters, encouragement doesn't need to be about words, although I will be using a lot of words in a few minutes. Um, they can just be acts. Stephen asked me to come today, and it's a huge honor to preach on this occasion of the centenary. And he asked me particularly to uh, focus on the Acts 4 reading. So if we can look at that to begin with, and then I'm going to talk about Barnabas and how he is um, portrayed to us in the Acts of the Apostles in other places too, and what that can teach us as Christians in this place. Barnabas is not, of course, his real name. It's Joseph. And he's described to us as a Levite, which means he comes from the Israelite tribe of Aaron, Moses' older brother. And in the Old Testament, 
Aaron and the Levites were tasked with leading the worship in a manner that was befitting to the holiness of God. And so Barnabas would have had a role of worship, leading the worship in a manner similar to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. Indeed, it's been suggested that Barnabas may have been the author of the book of Hebrews with its strong emphasis on Jesus, our high priest. Barnabas, we're told in those opening words, comes from the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, an island I've been fortunate enough with my wife to visit. And the place is described by Barnabas, uh, or rather by Luke, as the place of the first missionary journey, Salamis and Paphos at the end. Uh, Lynn and I were fortunate enough to go to Paphos. And there's still um, some history and ruins that go right the way back to the first century. It was an island with strong Jewish connections. Not surprising then that at the first missionary journey, guess where was the first place Barnabas and Paul went to after they left the port? Cyprus. So, Barnabas' name comes two dozen times in the Acts of the Apostles, five times in Paul's letters. And when we read about him, we discover that he has a pivotal role in the young church. It's an exciting church, an exciting time for uh, Christians in the New Testament. It's also scary. It's fragile. The church is young, scattered, and it's being watched by hostile people. I want to give three examples of how I find Barnabas encourages me, and I hope they'll encourage us all. Firstly, in the reading that we had this morning, Barnabas is generous. Verse 37 tells us that he sells a field, brings the money, and lays it servant-like at the apostles' feet. And this act of generosity to the church in Jerusalem gives him the nickname, Son of Encouragement. They are, as a church, so encouraged that they call him Barnabas. And Barnabas's gift doesn't come with any strings attached. There's no expectation that he's going to get a return on his gift of a field. Instead, it's totally given without any expectation of return. There are many testimonies in this congregation of sacrificial giving. Cars have been given away. Homes lent. Airfares paid for. Loans given without expectation of repayment. Groceries provided. Cooked meals given away. In the year 2000, a couple here gave a young student in this congregation $20,000 in order that he might begin his studies at theological college and so as to make a start towards ordination. Seventeen years later, he's your rector. The St. Barnabas Benevolent Fund gives away thousands of dollars a year to help people in need. Well done. I was at a church last Sunday, baptizing and confirming, 
and uh, the rector said to me, uh, would you like to uh, sort of renew the congregation's vows? I, and there was a tradition in that church of basically going around showering people with baptismal water. I said, great, anything to shower people with water. And I said to them as I did it, I want people who are going to die for Jesus. I'm not interested in anything else. If you're not going to die for Jesus, don't bother. This is what it's all about. Dying through financial sacrifice, dying so that we give away that others may have. Why? Because of this song. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world. Marvelous words. John 3, 16 and 17. So, well done to Barney's for giving. Keep the tradition going that you give sacrificially. Encouragement means to put courage in or to make more courageous. And the critical fact about encouragement is that it has to be sacrificial. It's not as some uh, people in society think that it's a sort of pat on the back and well done and have a cappuccino and it's okay, we'll manage tomorrow. Encouragement for Christians is about giving till it hurts. We know that. You give up in order that others may be encouraged. Let me give another example at a recent commissioning in Esperance that Reverend David Williams and his wife Mary were at. I'm an extrovert, so I'm okay doing things ad-lib and um, pointing people out, and I hope David and Mary didn't mind me pointing them out. But we commissioned a new parish priest, Robert Day, who'd moved from the parish of Willoughby. It's an eight-hour journey to Esperance, and we were all gearing up, and the church was gathering, and it was about half an hour before the service. People from the community had come. The mayor had come. Everybody was filled with a hope of expectation. Suddenly, a bus drew up in the car park. The door opened, and there was Willoughby. They'd come down in a bus, and they tumbled out, and they said, we're here to join the service. Can we? That's encouragement. That's sacrifice. 16 hours round journey. It was a great, delightful night, and Robert and Peter Day felt so encouraged. So Barnabas is financially generous, but he's generous in other ways that sometimes, unless we carefully read the Acts of the Apostles, we might miss. Barnabas is welcoming, and sometimes when we take on the role of Christian welcome, it means holding out a hand to someone that other people are not sure about. After Saul is converted on the road to Damascus, you remember that Saul turns the tables on his Jewish compatriots by preaching the cross and resurrection. But the church in Jerusalem, who's only heard of Saul as a persecutor, is afraid. And I reckon they didn't really believe he was the full Monty, as it were. They don't really believe he's a disciple. And it's probably, they thought, a trap to draw them out, flush them out so they can be arrested. But it's Barnabas, we're told, in chapter 9, who takes Saul. 
having heard Saul's testimony of faith, and he takes him to the apostles, and he tells the apostles they have nothing to be afraid of. This person has met the Lord Jesus, and he is one of us. Barnabas is the bridge builder, the one who takes people's fears and breathes his faith into it. And later, Barnabas takes more risks as he seeks to give John Mark a second chance after the end of the first missionary journey, but Paul is not to be persuaded. Welcoming friendliness is a hallmark of this church. Regularly, people come to visit and receive an invitation to lunch. Well done. The congregation here, I'm told, is always looking out for new people and making sure that they're welcomed and looked after during the service and later at morning tea. Well done. It's actually not that easy. People can often slip through the net, as it were. Well done for doing that, for gathering people up. Well done for the home groups, the Bible studies, the small groups which are places of warm fellowship where people feel they can be themselves and bring not, not only their questions, but their sense of uncertainty. What is this new community I've come into? Well done that you share the Scriptures, but you're also able to share yourselves. Well done that you pray for each other. Well done that you have regular social functions. I love the photos up where Barney's Bazaar years ago raised $167 or something, and uh, Stephen whispered in my ear, and do they all know how much they raised yesterday? I don't know. No, we won't tell them. So they raised a lot, lot more yesterday. <laughs> Steve, it's Stephen's, he's the rector, so he gets the treat to tell you all. Helen, uh, <laughs> Helen gets the treat. And thank you, Helen, for that uh, history. That was great. And encouragement goes beyond that, doesn't it? So you write letters of encouragement three times a year as part of your services to your link missionaries. And I've been on the receiving end of letters of encouragement. I used to work in a place called Port Headland. It might not seem a place of mission, but boy, let me tell you it is. And uh, there's nothing better than getting a letter of encouragement from somebody saying, we're praying for you, we're upholding you, we're here for you. Simple acts of encouragement when you're furthest from home can make all the difference. And finally, Barnabas shows leadership. And I've only recently come across this sense, and um, I hope I'm not interpreting the Scriptures to read what I think. But this is my take on Acts 13. It opens with a description of the church leadership in Antioch. And you'll see at the start... Yes, do look it up, please. Let's all... Uh, go through it, and I'll prove my points, argue my case. So Acts 13 begins with a description of the church in Antioch, and whose name leads the rest? Well, it's Barnabas. And whose name comes at the end? Saul, who's soon to become Paul. With prayer and fasting, never forget that, never, ever forget fasting, I trust that this church fasts. 
With prayer and fasting, the church responds to the Holy Spirit's promptings and sets aside Barnabas and Saul, as it is stated, um, verse 2, and off they go to Cyprus, the comment I made a bit earlier. And we go through the, what is basically the first missionary journey. It's one of the hardest they face, enormous antipathy, uh, antipathy is too passive a word, uh, persecution, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, all those places in Pisidia. But do you notice as we go through verse, uh, chapter 13 that Barnabas and Paul become Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Do you see what's happening? Let me give you, I must give you some examples, otherwise John Yates will say, come on, Jeremy, verses, where are your verses to prove that you're saying? So have a look at verse 42. There's Paul and Barnabas, and there are others too. Thank you, Stephen. Verse 43 as well. 42, 43, 46. You see how I sense the mantle is passing from Barnabas to Paul. And Paul is now going to be the leader of the mission of the church to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And Paul becomes the great apostle. And I wonder if that says something to us about leadership, something we need to learn in the church about leadership. Because Barnabas steps back from his I was the leader to I'm now number two or three or four without any dissension but with great grace. Canon Dale Appleby once said to me, real leadership in the church is about point, appointing someone to work with you who may well be gifted more than you are, not less. Someone who will take the church to the next level so that when you leave, Jeremy, people look back, don't look back to your time as the golden era, but look forward to what the Spirit is doing in the next ministry. Shortly before Christmas, I was invited to attend a friend's graduation from Notre Dame, and after the presentations, the Vice-Chancellor, Celia Hammond, gave a very short sort of pep talk, and she said the most important gift, and she went around a bit, her subject, and I thought she's bound to say something like wisdom or the intellect, and she floored me by saying, is kindness. So the ministry of encouragement in this church is the ministry through kindness about giving courage to people, the courage to change the world. It's worth noting that the New Testament gift of prophecy prized greatly by Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church in particular, is always characterized by encouragement. Remember in Corinthians 14.3, I think it is. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their building and encouragement and consolation. And Stephen and John and Adam, who I don't think is here, and others who have led this church, and you, I want to thank St. Barney's from the diocese for the encouragement you have given to us as a wider Anglican family. 
The giftedness of the renewal movement has been explored and developed here to the benefit of the wider church and to the glory of God. From my heart to yours, bless you. And this church of St. Barnabas has been for 100 years and continues to be a collection of saints who strengthen, comfort, encourage each other to change the world for the better in Jesus' name. One of my heroes, Bishop Stephen Neal, once defined Christian love as the set of the will for the eternal benefit of the other. The set of the will for the eternal benefit of the other. We do it, not because we feel like it, but because we're called to do it. There is an ancient tradition that eventually Barnabas was martyred on his own island of Cyprus, the eastern port of Salamis. I like to think that he lived the sacrifice of encouragement to his last breath, and I pray that we will do so too. As we give thanks for a hundred years, and praise God, we look forward to the next hundred. The Lord be with you.